0: Hey, it's Mark Shafley here, your listening to the Jetcentric centric podcast. Hey Jets fans, welcome back to the Jetcentric centric podcast. Uh, today, this will be our first episode since the, uh, the end of the regular season. Uh, obviously, the Jets aren't in the playoffs, obviously. Um, so we're just going to kind of talk about how the season kind of went, um, you know, get into the more recent news. And uh, of course, I have on a, a fantastic guest here. I've got Sean Reynolds. Uh, from sportsnet as well as the kenny and rennie show um before i say hi i have to apologize i don't have any uh any headband music i don't got any of the best music in the biz <laughs> for you i've uh, got
1: i've got the headband there you go <laughs> how are you doing my... today buddy? i'm doing
0: great brady it's
1: nice to put a face with the voice we've chatted before
0: mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean uh obviously the the jets season didn't go uh as hoped uh, we had analysts saying things like, you know, maybe the best team in Canada, uh, we look towards today and of course we're not in the playoffs. Things didn't go as, uh, as, it, uh, as we thought it would, um, can I just get your take on the season where things may might've, uh, gone wrong? Uh, yeah. Just give your take.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I know at the beginning of the year, I'm not sure that I had them as the best team in Canada, but I thought that they were going to finish. Uh, I thought it was going to be a battle between them and the Edmonton Oilers for about third place in the Western Conference. So uh, I'm definitely not one of the people who saw this coming. I can't really think of any analysts who saw this coming. I know there was a number of analysts uh, and pundits who thought that they were going to win the Stanley Cup, some big names <laughs> and some big voices. Clearly, that didn't happen. Um, I, I didn't see this coming. I thought they were far too talented of a roster to have missed the playoffs. I still believe that. Um, But I do think that some of the issues that uh, that have been, you know, I don't want to say plaguing this team, but have been part of this team for a long time that kind of led to them you know, maybe underachieving in 2019 from what we saw and, and not being able to kind of get back to that perch that we all expected them to sit on for quite a long time after 2018 uh, kind of reared their heads this year. Uh, and it feels like it was one of these situations where, you know, those issues weren't taken care of and they finally caught up with the Winnipeg Jets. And it sure sounds like that's what the players were saying as the season went out. The, to me, maybe the most fascinating turn, other than the fact that a very talented roster that probably should have made the playoffs didn't make the playoffs was that this organization that has been so tight lipped for so long and did not like to talk about its issues and I would argue almost ignored their issues finally started talking about them and pointing them out and shining a spotlight on it and I'm a big believer that you can't solve your problems unless you point them out and Mm -hmm. say that you're going to address them. And if I had a major criticism of the Winnipeg Jets over the last number of years, and I've been on the record as saying this, I think that they've to a degree hidden from a lot of those issues. So Mm -hmm. uh, if, if I'm a Jets fan and I want to have hope for next year, the hope that I have is that this is an organization that at least a number of people within that organization, a lot of them, the players of the present, And the future seem to be the ones pushing that issue and driving the bus on saying there are problems and we need to fix those problems.
0: For sure. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know, the the one thing to be optimistic about is that you can actually see that those problems are now being aired out. They're not being swept under the rug anymore. And it seems like this offseason is a pretty big turning point for the Jets um whether that be you know obviously coaching is the biggest uh the biggest one that we all point to uh finally getting a new voice in the room to get a full season in um obviously uh when it comes to the the coaching they they a few weeks ago they mentioned that you know Dave Lowry and uh, his assistants were likely not going to be uh coming back next year but of course then they added in the weird connotation that they'll be able to interview for their jobs again which is kind of weird in my opinion but um but yeah, like what, what, what do you expect uh, for this next year? I mean, obviously we can get into the, the candidates of who, who could potentially be uh, be the ones, but what kind of went wrong you think with, with Lowry, do you think it has to do with more, you know, not getting a full season in, do you think if he were to return next year, I, I personally think that's unlikely, but if that happened, um, do you think that, you know, we should give him the benefit of the doubt? Is it just, you know, not having a full season or do you think that, you know, in order for the, this team to move forward, they really need a, a cleaning of of in-house.
1: Well, I, I don't know what you saw, Brady. What I saw was a continuation of Paul Maurice's philosophies um, in Dave Lowry. Now, I don't I don't think that means that Dave Lowry is the same kind of coach as Paul Maurice, but I do think that, but and I've said it in the past, it felt to me like the ghost of Paul Maurice continued. To to coach this team, I think there were certain things that Dave Lowry tried to change. He tried to instill, I think he tried to create a little bit more accountability. I think there was a lot of younger players that at times, I think it was a pattern sometimes under Paul Maurice that younger players would kind of prove themselves. And in other organizations, people would have said, they've shown something. Let's keep rolling out the opportunities to see how far they could take it. And I think there were a lot of scenarios under which some of those young players would show something. And then, you know, uh, uh, another player would come back from injury or for whatever reason those opportunities would stop and it would be like back to the line uh, with you and I think that that's frustrating it's hard to grow off of I think Dave tried to address that but the one thing about this is I don't think we got a true look at what kind of coach Dave Lowry is and would have been because he continued under the philosophies of Paul Maurice. And I think that it was an organizational um, idea that what they were gonna do is they were just gonna try and right the ship. I mean, let's keep in mind this team had its best start since it came back to Winnipeg at the beginning of this year so I think they just kept trying to recapture what they thought was already there and that they didn't need to tear things down and rebuild the way that we saw them do to a degree in Edmonton uh, definitely in Vancouver Um, so I I don't think we got a true understanding or a true look at what Dave Lowry could do but my take on the entire thing is when you're an interim coach either you come in and you get that organization turned around or it doesn't happen and I think you are bang on with your your idea that it's weird how they've handled this I think it's insanely weird uh, the the analogy that I've used is you don't go home to your wife or your husband and say hey you know what um, I'm not saying that we're not married anymore, but I'm going to actively go out there and look and see what else is out there. Now, you can, you can continue to try and impress me, and maybe I'll keep you around as my husband or wife, uh, but I'm out there looking, just so you know. I don't think it's the way to handle it, but one of the reasons I do think they're doing it is we know uh, True North has a lot of belief in their system their guys um and so I, I think that what they're doing is they're leaving the option open that if you can't go out and get a berry trots or take a big swing with someone who comes in and entirely kind of changes the philosophy of the organization which i think this philosophy this organization desperately needs but they could go to a situation where they go get pascal vincent who is a phenomenal coach um, and the Jets feel like they have really brought up in their system. They know him. They know exactly what they're getting. And if they went and got him, well, maybe just maybe he'd come back and he'd see value in in Charlie Huddy or Jamie Compon or maybe Dave Lowry. So – I think it is, it is weird. You are right that they didn't close the door. I think putting those coaches in limbo is somewhat disrespectful Mm -hmm. to those coaches, but I don't think they do it for no reason. The reason that I do think it is, is they're leaving the door open that if they decide to continue doing things the true North way and go with a coach like Pascal Vincent, that maybe just maybe Pascal Vincent says, I still want those guys. I've coached with those guys. I know those guys. So let's leave that door open.
0: For sure. Um, Of course, obviously, you you mentioned uh, the name Barry Trotz. Mm -hmm. Uh, Before Mm -hmm. I even, before we even get into, yeah, the the big (laughs) bombshell uh, that came uh, just the past few days. Um, Before we get into, you know, specific uh, coaches or anything like that. Um, I just want to ask in general, uh, you know, without putting a name or a face to uh, to it, uh, what would you look for in, in, in a coach? You know, you said you wanted to kind of, uh, you know, mix it up. It needs to, you know, there needs new to be philosophy. a complete, oh, yeah, new philosophy. Yeah. Um, what does that new philosophy look like in your eyes? I mean, it looks like
1: Barry Trotz. I, I honestly don't think that there is a more perfect fit. I mean, if you take a look, the Jets have defensive issues that they have not been able to solve. Well, Barry Trotz went in and took the New York Islanders from near the worst defensive team in the NHL to near the best defensive team in the NHL and he did it in a single season I mean he has Mm -hmm. that ability and that capability you take a look at this Jets roster with these stars that seem to be able to get individual like I mean the funny thing about this year is you look at it a lot of guys had breakout seasons and everything you could have hoped for Josh Morrissey Ehlers was great Blake Wheeler probably performed better than we should expect him to Mm -hmm. at his age Kyle Connor took a phenomenal step forward Pierre-Luc Dubois looks like what we're thinking Pierre-Luc Dubois should look like and it all added up to in the playoffs by a significant margin. So you've got all of these players who are having individual success, but not success as a team. Well, that's the Washington Capitals. And that's you know Barry Trotz going to the Washington Capitals and getting them over the hump. And then you've got a franchise in general that just can't seem to break through, that looks like it's destined for good things, but seems to keep disappointing. And Barry Trotz is the guy who took that Washington team and turned them from also-rans into champions. All the issues that the Winnipeg Jets have, including culture, which the players are talking about are things that Barry Trotz has shown in the past. He can fix. And the one thing about it that I think is, is, is um, that I think would be a real fit is this is a coach that clearly, by the way things ended with the New York Islanders went to bat for what he believed in against a guy like Lou Lamorello. Right. And it probably cost him his job with the Islanders. Well, if you can go to bat against Lou Lamorello and stand your ground for what you believe in, you can go to bat and stand your ground against anyone in hockey management anywhere and I think what he could do beyond what he could do with the players the dressing room the culture turning things around defensive structure new coaching philosophy is organ organizationally he could really set the tone and structure of the way things go and I'm the coach I control what I control I'll tell my general manager what I think I need but when it comes to this no one is telling me I'm not benching this player. No one is telling me um, that we do things a certain way here. If I'm coming here to coach, this is how I do things. This is what I'm hiring. And I think that that is something that would go over very well in Winnipeg.
0: For sure. I, I, I completely agree. Um, the one thing that I, I feel like, you know, the only thing that is pushed back on, uh, on Barry Trotz, um, there's the idea around him that he's not, you know, as friendly to the younger players. Um, that's, that's been something that I've heard bandied about, uh, recently from Islanders fans. Um, I'm just curious if that would have any effect on, uh, on your decision. If, 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 you know, if trots is the guy or not, uh, or do you think that that's more of a, you know, depending on what the hand you're dealt, uh, depending on the personnel that, you know, maybe Chevy can kind of force his hand into playing some of the younger guys. Uh, or if you think that that's not even necessary, if you'd rather, you know, see what uh, a team with, you know. Brendan Dillon uh yeah. with an actual structure. Um, if if he can, you know, return to form, uh, or any of the other guys on the back end there
1: so i think what we're looking at here is we're looking at this through a winnipeg jets hockey market lens right because not playing the young guys is a bad word in the city of winnipeg we all know the story of you know billy halen we all know sammy niku and nick patan (laughs) this is a long time thing so a, a certain segment of jets fans and i think that that is a large segment of jets fans hate the idea of young guys not getting opportunity i do too right i i I, it's what i said i think that one of the problems here was young guys would get you know i always go back and i look at this time jack rosovic um got bumped up to the second line center of of the winnipeg jets when brian little was injured and he goes out and was the first star i believe i I think this is right was the first star of the week in the nhl Yeah. yeah he was the first star of the week and then what happened was Brian Little came back. Now, I'm not saying that he should have in that moment supplanted uh, Brian Little and everything should have moved on like that. But what I am saying is there needed to be an effort to try and keep that momentum going and help Jack Rosovic define himself in his head, capture that moment and be like, when you're at your best you're the best player in the NHL for a little stretch Indeed. of time. Now, no, we're not saying you're the best player in the NHL, but let's take that idea and try and lock it in his head and turn him into something greater than maybe even he think he should, he could be, right? So I'm totally on board with that. I don't agree with the idea that uh, Barry Trotz is uh, uh, not friendly to younger players. Like players like Anthony Bavillier got given a very big role with the New York Islanders. Matt Barzell was a guy that he was trying to turn into something greater than matt barzell was now he walked in with that roster and if you want to go tit for tat on that roster and what the jets roster has yeah. and say just take these two guys and throw them out in a game of pond hockey these two teams and see who's going to light it up offensively who do you think is going to be the yeah. better offensive team the jets <laughs> or the new york islanders he coached the islanders in a way that they could succeed now the what it did was it limited the creativity and we know that because matt barzell walked into the nhl as a point per game player and has never been back to that that plateau because he's been required to play a grinding defensive game that he probably doesn't like playing as much but they also came closer than anyone else to knocking off the tampa bay lightning and potentially becoming the stanley cup champion so what barry trotz did worked for the team It may not have worked for the individual. So what I'll say is, I do think that he had a way of instilling defensive responsibility in players like, you know, Backstrom, Ovechkin, and guys like that, and having them maintain being really good offensive players, but adding some defensive structure to their game, which the Jets desperately need with their stars. I don't think he's anti young player, I think the situation called for him to be hard on young players in a way that they could have team success, and I'll say this right now, and every Winnipeg Jets fan should feel this way as well. I want a coach who's going to have a team first mentality over the individual, because we've seen what individual success has translated to in Winnipeg, and it hasn't translated to team success
0: for sure. Um, Yeah. And I I guess with that, like, you know, I think we were on the same page, like trots is uh, ideal. Like it's, it's kind of hilarious throughout the entire season. We're always joking, you know, Islanders get off to that, that shaky start having to be on the road for like what, two months or whatever it was. Uh, and everyone's licking their chops here, just going, "Mm, Oh, well, you know, we can get Barry Trotz maybe. And of course that was always just a fever dream, but, uh, it's, it's crazy to come to this day and see that that's actually a possibility. And, you know, hearing all the analysts, uh, be like, yeah, you know, if I'm the jets, you gotta, you gotta put everything towards getting that guy.
1: Um,
0: as far as the team goes, I mean, obviously, that like I said, it's a pretty uh, transitional kind of time in the Jets. Obviously, we got Pierre-Luc Pierre Dubois, who's up for RFA. We've got Shifley coming out with his, uh, you know, maybe I don't want to be here kind of thing, but then he's walked it back in the past a little bit saying, you know, he didn't request for a trade. Um, I think Shifley is the guy I want to talk about first. Um, you know, with him, would you say that, you know, it's kind of weird for, for, you know, your top center who's been given kind of every opportunity to succeed when he's got, you know, two years left on his contract still to be kind of going, you know, maybe, maybe I got to do what's best for me here and, and not really come back. Um, what What's your, your opinion on, you know, on Shifley is, is the door kind of closed there? Is he a guy that you would, you know, probably want to move out at the end of the season just because, you know, it's not really working, you got to maybe move move that money towards Pierre Dubois, you maybe get a big uh, haul for him. Uh, Or is he a guy that you go, you know, I want to run it back one more year uh, under a new voice and see if we can really get, uh, you know, because for for me, you know, with the whole defensive side of things with Shifley there, I I don't think it's a lack of skill. I think it's purely a lack of effort and uh, a lack of accountability throughout this few years. Um, I remember seeing uh, a article where he he was talking about um you know they wouldn't even show uh defensive video or defensive tape to like the top line they wouldn't you know go okay this is the thing you guys need to improve on they would just kind of let them do their thing um but yeah I just want more your opinion on a guy like Shifley um where you're at with him you know should we bring him back should we be you know trying to get a big haul for him you know he's 29 two years left uh what's your thoughts
1: Yeah, when you say he's been given every opportunity to succeed, I would argue that the one opportunity that he wasn't given to succeed is having an organizational culture that demanded accountability mm-hmm. from him wh- which can be a powerful learning agent right uh, and people are people who who know me and have listened to me are going to be sick of this example but i <laughs> trot it out all the time because it, it's such a good example i was covering the blues in the second round after they knocked off the winnipeg jets they were playing dallas and in that series ryan o'reilly who ends up winning the Smythe trophy as as the playoff mvp a lot of people don't remember this. He got moved down to the fourth line because Craig Berube had thought that his attitude and, and that his effort level was not very good. And, and you got to understand, Brady, I'm used to covering the Jets and I come from this world where there is no way <laughs> in hell... Wheeler or Shifley, after poor effort, are going to be benched or moved down the line. I mean, they were getting first line minutes. They were getting, you know, whatever opportunity that, you know, to your point, to to go out to the ice and make something happen. And that was never happening. And I I was, I wasn't baffled by it because I've watched enough hockey to know that certain coaches count for, you know, call for accountability. But this seemed Almost dangerous to me because I would argue maybe the the feeling in Winnipeg was you don't bench Blake Wheeler or Mark Scheifele because then you could lose those guys, you know, in the room and that could be problematic. Craig Berube said to me, look, I win either way by moving him to the fourth line because either if he's going to give me that effort, he's in a spot where it costs this team less and he's not going to hurt us as much or he's going to put in an effort to work his way back up the lineup. So either way I win, there is no negative Mm-hmm. to bench it and to moving a star player down that lineup. And I just thought to myself, the response from Ryan O'Reilly is to turn his game around and go help that team win a Stanley cup. Mark Schlafly was never given that opportunity in Winnipeg. He was never held accountable in the way for, for, you know, nights where the effort wasn't there. You're going to sit there until the effort returns. Right. And if you come back out and the effort's not there, you're I'm going to put you in a spot where you're not going to hurt us as, as much until you show us better. Um, I, all that said, I take a look at Mark Shifley and I, I think if Mark Shifley, uh, if you can instill, uh, you know, a new coach, a new philosophy, all the things we've been talking about before this, I want to see Mark Shifley under that because the one thing that I think I've seen for Mark Shifley over the years is whatever his level of engagement defensively is, no matter what it is, his ability offensively is always here. He's always a point per game guy. He's the third most consistent point-per-game producer as far as stacking seasons together in the entire NHL. The only guys ahead of him are Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby. So this guy is going to get you a point-per-game and whether you get him to play this much defense or that much defense, his numbers are going to be there. So I, I think it's a dangerous move to move him out. If there's any chance that you can bring in a coach who can reach him and get his defensive effort there. Mm-hmm. And I think that a point per game, regardless of how much talent there is in Winnipeg and the guys who could step up to fill that hole. It's a big hole when you take a point per game producer out of a lineup. So I don't know how far it's gone. I think that the, the comments made by Mark Shifley were comments that were designed at saying, I need things to change here to want to be fully engaged here. He didn't say I want out or this or that. Um, but he said enough that he easily could have, like if he wanted to be traded, yeah. there's not that big of a difference saying I got to contemplate my future and whether or not I want to be here as opposed to saying, I don't want to be here. So to me, he's leaving the door open that he wants to stay. So if you can get the, proper structure in, if you can get the proper accountability in, if you can get someone who can get buy-in from him. Mark Shifley, I still think is a phenomenally dangerous player. I don't think he's ever going to be Patrice Bergeron. I don't think you should try and make him that. I think you should try and make the team around him to to cover that off. But I want to see what Mark Shifley looks like under a different voice. and, And that's something that as we were talking about before, I don't think Dave Lowry was able to get there because they were continuing the same philosophy. So we saw where Paul Maurice could take Mark Shifley's game. Now I want to see if someone can come in and take him to the different level. We know he's been turned into a skilled mm-hmm. player. I want to see if someone can turn him into a winner. And I want to see that in
0: Winnipeg. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, yeah, e- even going back to trots, I-, I actually, I just remembered the whole, um, you know, I, I would love to see what he could do with, with both Sh- Shifley and Wheeler, um, you know, being able to go into the caps uh, dress, dressing room and go up to, you know, o- Alex Ovechkin, the, you know, one of the best goal scorers of all time and just go, listen, I'm going to play you a little bit less. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that you're fresh and ready to go. So that at the end of the season, when playoffs come, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be rolling and you're going to be fresh. And uh, I wonder how, you know, uh, how, trots for example could have that effect on a guy like wheeler and a guy like shifley um you know cuz you know we're we're getting to a point where you know Blake wheeler is is 35 years old uh you know he had a great season this year he was much better than than you know probably most of us expected but uh you know naturally it's going to slowly keep declining um and you know it, it there was no scenario ever where you know us on Twitter, we love to you know draw up our lines. We love to go, oh, this would be, I think, a really effective lineup. I think this would be good. Uh, and and it was always this weird thing where you knew that you can never drop Blake Wheeler down into the bottom six. You you knew like you could write it down on on, on a tweet, you could write it down on paper, but it was never going to happen. Um, and and personally for me, when it goes back to coaching, I just want a coach that can come in and kind of accurately assess um, the lineup and. Uh, going back to you know what you would want to see in a coach what type of uh system would you want to see like looking at how the the jets have deployed their their players in the past uh you know eight years uh, it's always been kind of a top six bottom six mentality would you go towards that or would you you know transition to more of a top three scoring line uh would you be more of a uh you know Uh, have the third line be more of a hitting checking line Uh, what's your ideal setup with this team you know there there's a bunch of scores on this team bunch of finishing talent Um, how would you deploy this team
1: so as far as kind of the philosophy behind it Barry Trotz I'm sure is not the first coach to to have said this but he's the first coach that I heard say it and he said that when he walked into Washington the way that he got those players engaged was he said look I can't coach what you do Ovi or Nick Backstrom or TJ Oshie. I, I, I can't take a player and say, I'm going to teach you how to do this. Cause you guys are geniuses. You know how to do that. So I'm not going to tell you how to play uh, offense, but when you don't have the puck, you do what I say. And then when you have the puck, you do whatever you want to do. And I think that the Jets are a skilled enough offensive team. Now, that's not saying that I don't want to see them play a grittier game and get inside. Like, I think there's part of that. And that's just a philosophy of, you know, I think Dave Lowry was right and had some success in doing that and changing the way that this team produced offense, because I do think that there's a, there's a tendency for this team to want to score pretty goals from the perimeter first and try that until the point that the clock runs out before they ever try getting to the front of the net. Um, I, we'll get to that with the lines because I think you can juggle the lines to kind of create that happening but th- that's as far as a philosophy that's what I want to see because I think what happens is if you're engaged defensively and you're grinding guys down low you're more likely to grind when you get up the ice even if you are offensive but I also think the Jets are so talented offensively that if you can convince them that they're being free to do whatever they want offensively only if they engage defensively then I think you have a better opportunity of getting a buy-in now as far as you were talking about the the Wheeler issue I think that in, in the end is, is a problem. Blake Wheeler is getting paid $8.25 million. He's the captain of this team. He still clearly believes in himself as a point producer. He's still the guy, you know, until the end of the season, when they put him on the second power play that they run the power play through and he knows how to do it. So you're right. It's hard to convince him to go in the bottom six, but I think the way that you, you, um, you address that. And I go back to that blues team. Like I remember covering them when they won that cup in 2019 and there'd be these massive moments in the game and Barbashev would go out on the fourth line and you'd be like what are these guys doing out on the ice and then they'd score a goal and mm-hmm. they'd, they and so I think the the idea that and I know it's it's easy to say uh it's probably easier harder to do as a coach but if you can do this as a coach where you just create four lines and you truly say like I don't know who my best line is. And if you can truly put, trot out a lineup where on a given night, holy smokes, the, the third line led everyone in ice time, right? The fourth line was second in ice time tonight because you come out as a coach and you say, these were the guys who were going. This is the way the game trended. So these guys were being used. Then I think you erase that idea of of being taken off lines and being dropped down the lineup, right? Like, and let's be honest with ourselves here. There's there something that that, that was uh, never mind. We, we know there was something. I remember when Patrick Lyon got moved up to that first line when Blake Wheeler was injured, and then he got knocked down when Wheeler came back. And Shifley said in the media, which kind of was a little bit of a bombshell. He was happy that those guys were back. There was no one he liked playing with more than Blake Wheeler and Kyle Connor, right? Well never mind a (laughs) top six and a bottom six the Jets had it set up where they had a top three and a bottom nine yeah right and and you know it's one of the things that drove Patrick Lyon a crazy and and you know probably contributed in a large way to the reason that he left but there is an elitist feeling of how this team is built in its lineup and they they literally it's almost like they 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 built the lineup like this they said well here who's our best three players okay that's line one who's our next three best three players that's line two then after that and and so what, what i think is the way that you get, you know, grittier. You know, back to the point I was trying to, or I was talking about before. The way you get grittier is you have a grittier element on all three lines. Like I, I always thought this was nuts. Kyle Connor doesn't have to be with Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley to score goals. It was finally proved this yeah. year. But he, you didn't need to put that. You've got three guys who are drivers, as Paul Maurice used to used to call them. Well, put in a, a f- offensive driver on three lines. Put a guy who can get to the front of the net but can still handle and retrieve pucks the way that a Brandon Tanev did back in the day and then put a passer on all three lines you've got the personnel to do that I want to see what this Jets team looks like when I don't know who the first line is or the top line is and then you're just going to go if Nick Ehlers is going that that night which we've seen before roll Ehlers line if Kyle Connor is doing it roll Kyle Connor if it's Mark Shifley get Mark Shifley going and and the final thing you've got to build a fourth line that you have faith in I mean the the Jets line ever since 2014 or, or earlier. Has basically been a collection of guys other than last year when they built a specific target of what they wanted those players to do, but then kind of abandoned it in the playoffs you've got to have a fourth line that you can throw out there and they aren't just an afterthought, right? Like you have back to my point about Barbashev, the fourth line, go back and watch that run by the St. Louis blues. That fourth line affected that team and, and did things and it was a huge reason of why they won the Stanley cup. Does anyone out there think there's been iteration of the jets over the years that their fourth line would have gone out and turned the tables numerous times the way the Canadians fourth line did like last year they've never had the person not the personnel to do it they've never constructed their lineup in a way where you could use the fourth line in that manner
0: for sure absolutely um yeah i i completely agree uh i'm i've always been a big proponent of the uh you know you know in the offensive side of things having two guys together who you know work together and there's just having a third guy who is just a guy on that line uh so whether that be you know having PLD with Connor having you know Ehlers with Shifley having Wheeler with you know if he decides to come back uh Paul Stastny like that's my ideal and then you just kind of fill up the side uh give them whoever but yeah. um regarding you know we've talked a lot about the offense uh obviously the defense is is a huge uh huge question mark there's uh about eight guys who you know could potentially be in 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 the running to be um to be on uh in that top six um in general right now we have a bit of a, a log jam on the on the left side there do you see the jets making any moves kind of moving a guy out of there do you see them just going into the next season uh with uh those eight guys and just kind of letting them all you know fight to the death see who who makes it out um and also in general what what would your ideal kind of top six be uh for the the defensive side of things
1: well if there are moves i think it's going to be salary cap driven um, because I think that the one issue that, uh, I have, when I look at the Jets defense is the way that it's constructed. I think Josh Morrissey is one of the best one, a, or best number two, def- sorry, one B or best number two defenseman in the league. I think he's, he's <laughs> great, but really good defenses are built around one guy. Who's a horse who can just do, you know, go, all night long. Um, In the playoffs, you can get him to play 35 minutes. You go and look over. I mean, take a look at what Chris Pronger during his career was able to do to teams because you you could put him on any defense and he's here and he's playing 35 minutes a night in the playoffs and he's impossible to play against and he can add to it offensively and he affects the game every time he's out there. And then every other guy just moves down a notch and then just fits right into the right spot and you don't need them a lot because you've got one guy who's logging, you know, over a quarter of the ice time you need from defense. So you can kind of put throw everyone in there. So the, the the trick for me with the Winnipeg Jets defense is without that guy, you just kind of have guys competing for the same thing. So there's going to be a lot of your viewers who are going to be, you know, uh, who are going to be upset with me for saying this, but I honestly don't think, like, I think it's a little bit of a, a pointless argument to say, like, let's get Brendan Dillon out of there and get, um, you know, Vili Hainala into that lineup or that spot Uh, do I think the Jets could be better if you tried those things I think it's possible I think it's crazy that they haven't been trying that and trying to see like we haven't seen enough from these players you know even Sandberg as good as he's been we haven't seen enough from them to know that those guys will walk in and have an impact in 82 games next year so and that's a problem that that, that's not a problem on those players that's a problem that the organization hasn't given enough opportunity for those guys but I do understand the I idea that if you're taking nate schmidt out of the lineup if you're trading him and putting billy in the lineup maybe the jets are better maybe they're a little bit worse and i could live with that because he's a young player who's going to get better but i think the, the decisions that the jets have to make are ones where the replacements that you would be making don't take the team from here and move it to here. They maybe take the team and move it to here or move it to there. So to me, the the argument about it is one that I just don't think it has a huge effect, but it could have a huge effect. If you take a guy like Schmidt and, and move him, free up that salary, take a player like Sandberg and put him in and you save all that money and you don't have that much of a drop off. And then you find creative ways and maybe it's moving high end talent on the top of your lineup and 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 trying to land that guy but i just i i honestly think that until the jets land a true stud number one defenseman this is an argument that we're just going to have over and over and over again, the idea of replacing this guy, how much better do you get? I just don't think there's a lot of it until you get that one guy who affects the team in a way, true number one guys do. Um, so I, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm dodging your question. I want to see a lot of Samber. I want to see a lot of billy hala I think that there it's at the stage where it's time for them to, to to be given an opportunity, and guys probably have to move to do that, but I don't think they make that move just to say we're moving this guy and we're trying this guy instead of that guy. I think those moves get driven and can help the team if it frees up salary in order for the jets to try different things.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's, it's interesting to see, cause you know, while we look at the, the entire season has been a bit of a, you know, a letdown and, and, you know, the, the, the makeover on D over the off season was a big, uh, a big thing. Uh, and, and, you know, of course it didn't end up working out for the jets, but it still brought a lot of, of clarity to the situation, both in the sense of, we kind of know that, you know, we can, you know, having these band aid patches of throwing, you know, Brendan Dillon, uh, Nate Schmidt into the lineup, um, you know, helps but it's not going to be, uh, you know, it's not what the be all end all to fix, you know, the actual problem that the jets have. Um, but then also, you know, uh, another positive thing we can glean from it is Josh Morrissey had a, had a, a, a fantastic return to form. And I think just having, you know, a couple other guys who were able to, um, you know, take a bit of the, the, uh, the time and and have a bit of the responsibility taken off of Josh Morrissey. I mean, cause he had to do pretty much everything over the past, uh, two years. Um, so it, it is good to see at least that there is, uh, you know, there was some improvement, um, with adding those two guys, but, um, regardless, uh, move, moving forward though, um, looking at the jets, I mean, there's not a lot of, ch- you know, automatic change that is necessarily going to happen. There's only really three or four guys who are going to be UFAs this year. Uh, you know, that, that being Paul Stastny, you know, Zach Sanford, who we traded for, yeah. uh, Adam Brooks. And then, uh, I believe Comrie also is a UFA. Yeah. Um, of those guys, um, you know, are, are there any guys that you're looking at and going, we, you know, absolutely need to get him back? Um, you know, I would like to have him back, uh, you know, if, if we can, if the money's right. Um, you know, of, of those guys I mentioned there, who, who is on your wish list to uh, return? And if none of them, uh, is there anyone you're eyeing up?
1: Well, I, I don't think, like, I honestly don't think they need need any of those guys now that said um I've been talking about it all year I thought Eric Comrie deserved far more of an opportunity to play more games than he got this year Mm -hmm. again I think it's a missed opportunity because one one I I've I've been saying this for a while I think they're overworking Connor Hellbook and I think it has ramifications on how he performs and will perform going forward maybe if you only have him for two more years you're thinking why not ride him into the ground if he's going to leave right then the next guys can worry about that but I I do think that I personally believe it's affected his performance this season um, and and will continue to going forward. If you don't find a way to spell him off more often. So I wanted to see Comrie get, you know, 25 games or more to see how he would hold up underneath that. I think he deserved it, Um, you know, but maybe by playing him as little as you did and the fact that, you know, he's been to other places, didn't get an opportunity, maybe the Winnipeg Jets are the only Team that is looking at this player and saying, and so maybe you've kept his costs down uh, and his value down, and then you go get him back. So, would I like to see him back for the right number? Most definitely. I think he deserves an opportunity. Let's hope that if they do bring him back, he gets that opportunity. Uh, Stastny clearly just keeps going and going. Uh, One thing I admire from Paul Stastny is that he doesn't say, Yeah, I'm going to take a hometown discount. (laughs) He walked out and made it evidently clear that he's going to weigh all options probably prefers to be with the team he's been with before so but that could mean Colorado that could mean the Blues whoever else um but but I I I take a look at 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 that situation I think he definitely could help the Jets but it's probably going to cost you to do it and I do think um As talented as the Jets are, I think the Jets have almost an abundance of talent. Now, again, we talked about spreading it out to see if we couldn't get that moving. So maybe I want to see what that looks like before I make any moves. Uh, And I do think there's an appetite for this organization to say, let's keep what we have. We really still believe in this core. Let's shift it around and see what we can get out of it. Um, But to me, they need to start freeing up money somehow to try different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they need to be a harder team to play against outside of Pierre-Luc Dubois. I don't know, you know, and maybe Brendan Dillon. I don't know that they have the players to do that. Nick Ehlers isn't going to accomplish that for this team. Blake Wheeler at his age probably isn't going to accomplish that for this team. Mark Shifley isn't going to. Kyle Connor isn't going to. When Cole Perfetti comes in here, Cole Perfetti is not going to either. So I I do think that that is an element that has been missing from this team for quite some time. And I think that you have to address that at some point. Like you take a look at, you know, just players like Radic Faxa and what they do for the Dallas Stars, those kind of players. You can see their value in the playoffs right now and down the stretch for teams. I don't think the Jets have a lot of those players, right? And I think those are kind of the players they need to collect for their fourth slash third line or even their second line if you're going to spread things out. And and I think that finding those players... Isn't overly expensive, but it's more expensive than what the Jets have. So put it this way: I think Statsny is great. I think he's he was necessary in calling out the culture on this team this year, and that's important. Um, but if you get a coach who can do that, maybe you don't you, you you can miss that. But if the Jets are going and moving to a player like erratic Fax or a couple of those other players like that, instead of bringing Statsny back. Um, I'm I'm probably okay with that because I want to see what players like that who can grind the other team and make the Jets harder to play against look like. And if that's the only place you can find money uh, and spend that money, then so be it.
0: Yeah, and when it comes to you know bringing guys back, like I, when it comes to Stassi, I you mentioned it. the 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 biggest important thing to me was. The, the calling out of the culture. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I I think that he could be, uh, uh, you know, if the money is right. But again, as you mentioned, he's not afraid to go, I, I deserve more money, you know. Um, but if he did, for some reason, want to take a hometown discount and actually try and, you know, help turn things around here, I think his leadership would be like, fantastic. When we talk about the whole leadership thing, you know, it gets played out a lot. But like, Very clearly, he's a guy who has sway in the room Mm -hmm. and actually, uh, you know, can acknowledge the fact that, you know, things aren't going right. Um, So I think it has to do more against, again, with coaching. Um, Hopefully you don't have to have a player who's on your cap um, in order to do so. Um, But, uh, but yeah, and then like, you know, looking at a guy like Zach Sanford, I thought he was all right, but I think he was kind of miscast uh, when he played here, having him play in the top six. Um, when, you know, again, going back to our top six, bottom six thing with how the jets deployed their lines, it seemed like he was kind of out of his depth, uh, there, but I I think that he is, you know, going back to talking about kind of the, the harder to play against, um, a guy like him, uh, could be, could be useful, but again, he's 27 and you could probably find someone in UFA who is, you know, comparable or, or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, i i don't got much else here to to ask you i'll be honest um no, no i think i think i think we can wrap it up here um well thank you guys all for listening please check out uh the kenny and runny show uh with that of course is sean and uh and uh, ken weep um obviously sean's on sportsnet um check us out on twitter uh thank you guys all for tuning in and have yourselves a great day
1: thanks for having me brady that was a lot
0: thanks. of fun it was great
1: I'm Kirk Gilback, and thank you for listening to the Jet Centric Broadcast.